Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is May 8th. In 1945, today was the date the Allies celebrated the defeat of Nazi Germany at the end of Adolf Hitler's Reich. Formally recognizing the end of the Second World War in Europe, this became known as VE, or Victory in Europe Day. By April of 1945, the Allies had begun to overrun Germany from the west as Russian forces advanced from the east. On the 25th of April, Allied and Soviet forces met at Elbe River. The German army was all but destroyed. Five days later, Hitler killed his dog, his new wife, Eva, and then committed suicide in his Berlin bunker. His successor, Admiral Karl Donitz, sent General Alfred Jodl to the General Dwight Eisenhower's Supreme Allied Headquarters in Reims to seek terms for it to end to the war. At 2.41 a.m. on the 7th of May, General Jodl signed the unconditional surrender of German forces, which was to take effect on May 8th at 11.01 p.m. After six years and millions of lives lost, the Nazi scourge was crushed and the war in Europe was finally over. Great celebrations took place across Europe and North America to officially recognize the Allies' formal acceptance of the unconditional surrender of German armed forces. In London, over a million people celebrated Victory in Europe Day. Crowds massed in Trafalgar Square and up the Mall to Buckingham Palace, where King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, accompanied by the Prime Minister Winston Churchill, appeared on the balcony of the palace to cheering crowds. Amongst those in the crowds, Princess Elizabeth, the future Queen Elizabeth II, and her sister, Princess Margaret, blended anonymously, apparently enjoyed the celebrations for themselves firsthand. In the United States, President Harry Truman, who f- celebrated his 61st birthday that same day, dedicated the tr- victory to his predecessor, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who had died less than a month earlier on the 12th of April. The Allies had originally agreed to mark May 9th as VE Day, but eager Western journalists broke the news of Germany's surrender prematurely, thus signaling the earlier celebration. The Soviets kept to the agreed date, and Russia still commemorates the end of the Second World War, known as Russia, known in Russia as the Great Patriotic War, as Victory Day on May 9th. The Allied victory over Japan, known as VJ Day, did not take place until some months later on August 15th. Parties were organized throughout Europe and North America in May of 2005 to celebrate the 60th anniversary of VE Day. Of special significance, perhaps, were those events planned to commemorate the liberation of the Channel Islands, which were only part of Britain, to fall under the domination of the Third Reich. The 75th anniversary of VE Day in 2020 was a much smaller event due to the COVID-19 pandemic. However, there was an address by the Queen to the nation, and Churchill's victory speech was broadcast on television. A national two-minute silence was held at 11 a.m. In 1927, at 5.18 a.m., World War I aviators Francois Collie and Charles Nunegesser departed Le Bourget Airport, Paris, aboard their single-engine Lavoisier PL-8 biplane, the White Bird. The destination was New York City, nonstop across the Atlantic Ocean. In 1919, New York hotel owner Raymond Ortig offered a $25,000 prize to the first aviators who flew nonstop from New York to Paris, or the reverse. It was several years before the technology had progressed far enough that this became possible. By 1927, a number of people on both sides of the Atlantic had begun preparations for just such a flight. Coley had found 
had begun planning a transatlantic flight as early as 1923. He and a wartime friend, fighter ace Paul Tarascon, were interested in the Ortigue Prize, but after being injured in a crash, Tarascon was replaced by Charles Nunegesser. Coley was in charge of the flight. Francois Coley, a former sea captain, had enlisted as a private in the French army at the start of the war when no position was offered to him as captain of a French naval vessel. By 1915, he was commissioned officer and soon promoted to the rank of captain. Severely wounded and no longer able to serve in the infantry, he became a pilot in 1916 and later a squadron commander. In 1918, Coley lost his right eye in an airplane crash. He was considered to be an excellent leader and was known as an expert navigator. Charles Nungesser was the third leading French fighter ace of World War I. His, his was a flamboyant personality. He didn't like military discipline and was punished for it several times. But he was a highly successful fighter pilot with an, unoffici- with an unofficial record of 42 aerial victories. Like Cooley, he had been seriously wounded on numerous occasions. He was honored and awarded many national and foreign decorations for valor. The two aviators planned to land on the water in front of the Statue of Liberty so they had the PL-8's landing gear modified so that it could be dropped after takeoff, saving the unneeded weight and decreasing the plane's aerodynamic drag. The White Bird's maximum speed was 193 kilometers per hour, around 120 miles an hour, with a cruising speed of 165 kilometers an hour, or 100 miles per hour. Its range was about 7,000 kilometers, 4,300 miles. The service ceiling was 7,000 meters, or 22,000 feet. When the White Bird left Paris, it was carrying enough fuel for 42 hours of flight. It was escorted as far south as the English Channel by several airplanes and crossed the coast at about 7 a.m. Nungesser and Coley never arrived at New York. They were never seen again. Their fate is a mystery. Mike and Marion Illich opened their first Little Caesars restaurant in Garden City, Michigan on May 8, 1959. Mike Illich had been an another career path as a talented shortstop with the Detroit Tigers farm team. While his teammates were looking for a local bar par- ballpark, Mike was eyeing the local pizza joint. Pizza was clearly in his blood. An injury prompted Mike to trade his baseball glove for hot pads. It started with a little-known snack food called pizza, brought home by World War II soldiers returning from Italy. Mike and Marion saw the promise of this new food and were passionate about starting their own pizza business. They invested their $10,000 life savings toward opening a single Little Caesar shop in 1959. To grow the chain, Mike and Marion franchised their stores, ultimately giving thousands of individuals the opportunity to own their own business. Mike and Marion took personal pride in helping franchisees grow their business and providing employment opportunities to young crew members. More than 50 years later, Little Caesars is the largest carry-out pizza chain in the world and internationally known brand. The success of Little Caesars allowed Mike and Marion to own their other businesses in the food, sports, and entertainment industries, including the Detroit Red Wings and Olympia Entertainment, among others. Innovation has given Little Caesars its unique place in pizza industry from day one. When they opened their doors in 1959, people thought a carry-out restaurant without tables and chairs would fail, but Mike and Marion's innovation paid off. Little Caesars has a history of industry first. Mike pioneered the two-for-one pizza deal, later known as Pizza Pizza, and then created a conveyor oven specifically designed to bake pizza quickly and consistently to keep up with customer demand. The chain built stores where pizzas was never served before, such as in sports arenas, college dormitories, and military bases. Little Caesars introduced Crazy Bread, which became a standard accompaniment to pizza and was mimicked by other pizza chains. Little Caesars also broke the status quo by making pizzas ready when customers walk in, with no need to call ahead or wait in line with the launch of its own hot and ready pizza offer. 
You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com Victory in Europe Declared at Historic-UK.com The Transatlantic White Bird at ThisDayInAviation.com and Little Caesars Opens at Harris23.MSU.Domains The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.